Good morning. We are back and talking about the, the very difficult task of raising children. And specifically this morning, we'll be talking about 1 Corinthians 13 and how love looks in a family for children. We had started this conversation. We talked about the five love languages. Then I, last time we were together, got into the introduction, the first few verses of chapter 13. I am planning to complete this chapter today. So we're not going to go in depth on every single one of these particular pieces of the larger puzzle, but we are going to cover them, I feel, as as much as is necessary this morning hour. So let's take a look now at verse number four, charity suffers long. And I did mention this last time that if you are going to be raising children, you need to be able to be patient. You need to be able to suffer through and with your children. The more you love your children, the more their pains become your pain. And the more you love your children, the more you will suffer when not only they are hurting, but when they hurt you. I'm pretty sure I mentioned the last time that the, the ones closest to you have the greatest potential to cause you harm. The greatest harm. It is very unlikely for a random stranger to say or do something that would completely ruin your day unless your day is already on that way towards destruction. But of itself, by themselves, they're probably not going to ruin your day. A child most definitely can. In fact, it doesn't take much for your child, whom you love, to ruin your day. So that is part of the, the issue. A lot of parents do love their children, but they don't love the suffering part. And so parents inevitably must either accept the fact that by loving my child, I will suffer. I will suffer when they suffer, and I will suffer when they hurt me. They have to accept that, or they will, without even knowing. I think a lot of parents do this um, through, through subconscious. They begin to distance themselves. The parent distances themselves from the child because they just can't handle the pain of being around that child, the chaos of the child, the suffering that it causes them emotionally, the suffering that it causes them physically, so the parents stay at work longer hours because they'd rather be at work than go home to the suffering that is at home. The problem is, when the parent begins to pull away, what is going to be the natural step for most children? Some children chase their parents down and and try to reconnect. Most children don't have the maturity, the courage, or the wherewithal to do that. Most children... When the parents draw away, themselves draw away. So now you have a parent, you might say, walking the opposite direction of the child, and the child is no longer stagnant. Now the child is also walking the opposite direction, and the parent and the child going in different directions, both getting further and further from each other every day. Well, when you do that, your child causes you more pain. And since the pain is more intense, you have to get further away so it doesn't feel so bad. And the more intense the pain that your child causes you, and the more intense the pain the child feels, and therefore you feel indirectly, the further you have to walk away from your child. And you think you are fixing the problem by distancing yourself indirectly, but actually what you're doing is causing the problem to get bigger and bigger. But like a fire, the further you are from the fire, the less heat you feel. The further you are from the fire, the bigger it seems. But if someone wants to get your attention, they'll just build the fire bigger, and then you keep walking away from it. So it always seems small, but as you get closer, you realize, wow, this fire is a whole lot bigger than it was before. It didn't seem so because I was so far away. 
So we need to make sure that we are willing to suffer with and for our children. Now, let me explain something. This is very important. Suffering with and for your children does not mean enabling your child. That's a big deal. A lot of parents say, well, that's my lot in life, to suffer. My children harass me. My children are disrespectful. My children abuse me. And that's, that's my calling, to suffer the abuse and harassment of my child. No, that is not your calling. Your calling is to train up your child in the way that they should go. But your child is human and therefore will cause suffering. But you do not need to suffer to the point of allowing your child to now control that relationship. Your child should not be given the authority or freedom to run over you. And essentially, you allow them to make poor, rebellious choices and suffer through it. No, you are hurting your child. You are not helping your child. So when you're going to, not if you will suffer, when you suffer... Make sure that your suffering is helpful to your child. Because if your suffering is hurtful to your child, now you're suffering in vain, and you will suffer more. Because by enabling your child, they will just cause you more pain. All right, the second thing here, it says kind actions, kind actions. Kind actions go a long, long way. It's hard to have kind actions when you don't spend time with your kids, The more time you spend with your children, the more opportunity you have to display kind actions. My suggestion is, if you are the parent who's not around the children as much for for work reasons or whatever reason it might be, then the kind actions need to be more intense, more focused, more planned out. When you are around the child constantly, just so, constant kindness, and they don't have to be the big actions. Because if the child is just showered with constant kindness, that for most children is sufficient. You could say, you know, with a little bit of big kindness throughout, but you do not need to have a big kind action every day. That would be a little overmuch. You're going to find your child will probably be spoiled if you're getting them a big present every day. If you're buying them, you know, something amazing every day, right? Just the small acts of kindness throughout will shape and form that child's heart to follow. And if they do not then you call them out. I am constantly calling my children out, constantly, for small things. Not very often the big ones. Why am I not, and I've got a 13-year-old down to a 3-year-old. Why am I not having to deal constantly with the big issues? You know why? Because I deal constantly with the small issues. I contain it. But if I ignore constantly the small issues, what will I be faced with? The bigger issues. That's just human nature, right? That's in the workplace. If you're a supervisor, if you ignore the small issues, they will blow up in your face, and within a few days to a few weeks, you now have big issues. If you have the consistency to deal with the small things, you are containing the chaos, and you will keep your children on the right track. So why am I talking about that here and now? Because one of the smallest things I deal with on a regular basis is this one. I don't always say, is that kind, be kind. I say it in different ways, but this is what I'm dealing with. My children are not showing kindness to each other. They are yelling at each other. They are, they are taking each other's stuff. They are closing the door on each other and locking the door and locking them out of their room. They share a room. Four girls share a room. So, you know, there's a lot of locking the doors on each other. Uh, these are not big things, though. I don't make them big things. These are not tens. 
These are, these are one and twos, maybe threes, possibly, for some of the more intense ones. But I can, I can maintain and constantly deal with one, twos, and threes, you know, level of, of chaos from one to ten, right? One, twos, and threes do not bother me. I accept that as my lot in life, and I'm constantly addressing one, twos, and threes. But when we're tired and we forget the one, twos, and threes, this unkindness becomes very big and becomes four, fives, and sixes. We ignore those. We run from those. They're becoming nines and tens, and now our family's falling apart. Love is kind. Be kind to your children, and then teach your children to be kind to each other on the small part constantly. All right, love doesn't envy. That's a great one. You would, you would might almost believe that when you really love someone, you are jealous of for them, jealous for them, in the sense of um, you, you envy maybe uh, something that uh, there's something going on in their life, and you're a little jealous that it's not happening to you and with you because you might feel like, you know, I mean, we're one, right? Whatever happens to them should happen to me, and, and we should be in this together. And if they really love me, they would include me in this. And, and that's a different conversation for a different time. But I can tell you, love doesn't allow uh, a separate award to be received separately in a sense of when my family is honored, I feel the honor. When my, child, my, when, I, when my children are honored, I feel the honor. When my wife is honored, I feel the honor. Because I love them, I actually want them to be honored and find joy myself when they receive it. That's real love. It's not envious of whatever, whatever honor they receive, regardless of whether you were included in that honor or not. Charity doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. And I think we might have, we might have mentioned this last time, vaunt itself, not puffed up. You know, this word vaunt has the idea of kind of placing themselves before others, right? You're going to vaunt yourself. You're going to, you're going to claim, I mean, the puffed up is an outright verbal, uh, stating things. They're very closely related. Obviously both are related to pride and then one dealing more with actions and, and one dealing a lot with, with words. But, um, vaunted itself, you know, putting yourself in a position where you are more important than others, lifting yourself up, Honoring yourself, the Bible talks in the Old Testament Proverbs about the foolishness of, of honoring yourself, that let another man speak your praise, right? Don't speak your own praise. So that word vaunt, you know, kind of uh, stating and claiming about yourself what may not even be true. And even if it is true, you know, that's not necessarily your position to tell everyone what you believe to be true about yourself. Let others say that. Puffed up, obviously closely related to pride. And this is going to be the walking around with that just proud look, that pride on your face. So how does this relate to children? I think it's dangerous when our children fail, we compare them to us. When our children don't do well at something, we say, you know, when I was your age, and then you go in on and tell your story about how you were so much more successful than they were. When your child doesn't play sports, well, I played all the sports and was MVP. You know, let me show you my shiny sixth grade trophy, you know, and showing off your stuff to your children. Your children are now trained to do what? Compare themselves to you. You trained them to do that. Subconsciously, purposefully. This is not a healthy way to raise children. When a child is compared to you, here's what will happen if you're not careful. First of all, it's just not biblical. The Bible says it's foolish to compare ourselves. But second of all, you're not going to be fair to that child because inevitably 
You're going to pair, compare your child not to your sixth grade version of yourself, but to your memory of your sixth grade version of yourself. And your memory of your sixth grade version is probably a whole lot uh, nicer in your mind than what was actually true. <laughs> your memory of yourself is a whole lot smarter than what you were in fifth grade. Your memory of your seventh grade awkward self playing soccer was you remember yourself playing a whole lot better than you probably actually did. So not only is it foolish, it is unfair. It is unjust to compare your child to a memory that is now for some of us in this room, you know, 10, 20, some of us 30, 40 years old, right? It's not fair to compare our children to a memory 20 plus years old. You're not going to do right by your children. But when you are vaunting yourself and stating about how great you are, you're going to be stating about how you remember how great you are. (laughs) And when you puff yourself up and when you have that proud look, it's based off of a misconception, based off of a deception of what accomplishments you've really succeeded with, which ones were helped, uh, which ones you did on your own, and which ones were just completely dumb luck. Right? So don't let pride get in between you and your child. Be humble. Let your child learn from their own mistakes and stop placing your child in a position where they have to compete against the best version of your younger self that even didn't actually exist. Verse 5, does not behave itself unseemly. This one's a great one. Love is not going to do things that would bring shame or dishonor upon their loved ones. If you are shaming your child by the things you say and do, then you are not showing them proper love. If you are, do, or if you are, if you are acting in a manner that brings dishonor to your child, and now they're embarrassed to call you parent, then that's a problem. I'm not talking about teasing your children occasionally and kind of having fun with them. I'm talking about actions that your child has to look down on the ground when they, when they see what you're doing. It, it causes them to not want to continue looking. <laughs> Do not shame your children. Seek's not her own. You know, a lot of people say, um, I'm not ready to parent yet. Not ready to raise children. And that could be true. You know why? Because if you are still seeking your own heart's desire first, then you're right. You're not ready to raise children. Now, here's the real truth. When are we ever really ready to raise children, right? It happens, and you kind of you learn on the job. But one of the biggest mistakes that parents have is not that they fail to love their children. Most parents I've met, even bad ones, love their children. You know what the big issue is? They love their children less than they love themselves. This is the problem. So if you cannot love your children more than you love yourself, your children will see it, your spouse will see it, others will see it, it will be hurtful to them, it will be traumatic to them, and you will be a poor parent if you cannot and will not love your children more than your own self. You may say, well, I'd be willing to die for my children. So doesn't that answer the question? Your children don't necessarily need you to die for them, at least not at this point. What they do need for you to do is live for them. Obviously, we ultimately live for God, right? That's our first priority, living for God. After that, I would suggest that your spouse should be second in line, not your children. But your children should definitely see that they are third, a strong third. You are nowhere to be seen on that ranking. You are taking yourself off that ranking altogether. God, your spouse, your children. If you are a single parent, then you just jump straight from God to your children. Your children must see that, and they must know that. Do not seek 
your own desires first. Love is not easily provoked. When you get angry with your child, when you yell at your child, when you throw something at your child, slap your child in the face, which is not appropriate, by the way. I'm not condoning that by stating it. None of these things I'm condoning. I'm just stating that, unfortunately, they do happen. The other day, I literally saw a parent, doesn't go to our church, but I saw a parent slap their child, not hard, but on the face. Again, this parent has, you know, they're, they're not a part of this church. They're not someone really I know. I just saw it happen. And I thought, wow, that, that still happens? I didn't know people still slap kids in the face. Like, that's wrong. But it does, obviously. And a lot of these kids coming from homes where that's just natural to be, to be, to be the, the target of the parent's wrath in unhealthy ways. When you do this, the child doesn't feel loved. Why doesn't the child feel loved? Because you're not loving them in that moment. That's why the child doesn't feel loved. They're feeling the truth. You can say whatever you want as you are yelling and screaming at them. You can say whatever you want as you throw something across the room at them. You can say whatever you want as you pinch their shoulder very hard. Say what you want. You are not at that moment loving them. And at that moment, they do not feel loved. Now, the problem is we're human. We make mistakes, and we all mess up and revert to our flesh and our humanity and maybe are more harsh with our children in our, in our verbal conversation or direction correction than we should be. That just happens. I get it. But when it happens all the time, the more your child feels unloved, the more they will believe that you actually just don't love them. Because you've shown them shallow love, abusive love, if you want to call it that. You've shown them this unbiblical style of love so often they just don't believe you love them anymore. And that's when the kid is asked the question, do your parents love you? And they look at you blank stare and say, I don't know, or their eyes tell you they don't know. They really don't know if they're loved. So don't be easily provoked because when you let your wrath control you, naturally for most humans, the youngest, weakest, most innocent in the room gets the full brunt of our wrath. You will find that if you're in a room with adults and you're angry and you had an option to direct that anger, you will find probably your anger will be directed at the one who's least likely to protect themselves. The employee who is, on the, who is the lowest uh, uh, on the authority level, the, the employee who's the newest, the employee who's the, the most timid, they will receive the most of your wrath. In a home, you will find often that your wrath is directed towards the youngest. Not always. Sometimes you're just really mad at the older because of what they did. I get that. But oftentimes you're going to find that if you're just angry, not because of what they did, but just because of life, you're angry, you're probably going to find yourself directing that towards the weakest. That is often the case. Because why? Well, anger is a bully. Wrath is a bully when it's, when it's not controlled by love. The Bible tells us God also has wrath, but God's wrath is controlled by love, pureness, holiness. God is just. And God's wrath is never purely wrath, uncontrolled by anything else. You could be angry, you can have wrath, but if the wrath is purely wrath without any love or uh, sense of justice attached to it, then it's going to be brutal, unhealthy, unloving. So love thinks no evil, verse 5. This one, children, will turn on you. This one, children, will use to get you, to manipulate you, to do what they want, to give them what they want, to treat them the way they want, because your child will basically say, don't you... Trust me. 
You see, thinking no evil isn't necessarily trust. It, it would be included in trust, but it's not trust purely by itself. Thinking no evil of someone means that when you are told some wrong about them, your first instinct is to consider there must be a side of the story I have not heard. That's thinking no evil. It does not mean trusting implicitly. It does not mean trusting blindly. This is not earned, by the way. 1 Corinthians 13, someone does not need to earn any of these things. These are all given freely. Trust does need to be earned, but thinking no evil of someone you love is giving them the benefit of the doubt. The more they mess up, the harder it is to do that. The more they mess up, the harder it is to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that eventually may transition to you pretty much assume now that they make bad choices because they always have, but you don't dwell on that assumption. You don't dwell on those actions. So the first step of thinking no evil would be just straight out. I don't believe that about them. That has to be proven to be the truth before I believe it. Once they continue down that path of rebellion, and now it has been proven that's just their character, that is their attitude, and now you know that about them, thinking no evil now would transfer to, I'm not going to dwell on the evil that I know about them. I'm going to dwell as much as I can on the good that I do see in them. I'm going to dwell on the love that I have for them, if nothing else. I'm going to dwell on that. Because your child living in rebellion, your child, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, living, running from God, will not be helped if you talk on and dwell on every conversation you have with them, their rebellion. You are pushing them further away. You don't need to trust those who can't be trusted. You don't have to pretend that your child is perfect when they obviously give themselves over to sin on a regular basis. You accept that truth, you understand that truth, but thinking no evil of your child means when you talk with them, you try to talk about things that are productive, beneficial, and positive. If nothing can come to mind, then talk about your love for them. And tell them, hey, I love you. You know I love you. I know, I know you make mistakes. I know you've told me that. I know you feel, you feel bad, and, and it's not good. You are, you are destroying your life. You are self-destructing, but I, I want to talk about some of the good memories we've had together. Remember that vacation that we had when, we were, when you were young? Remember we went camping and the good time that we had? And think back on the good times. Talk about the good times. You know that I love you, right? You know that even though I'm not pleased with your, your life, I, I do not approve of your choices. You do know that I love you very deeply. Because when we think on evil, when we dwell on evil, we tend to talk about what we dwell on. And when you talk to your child, you are talking to them about the evil you think of them, and you are pushing them further into evil. You're pushing them further into that darkness, that destruction. Because they now, they now think, if my own dad, if my own mom thinks that I, I am without uh, the ability to come back, then why would I even try? When my own parents have given up on me, why would I try? That's a very important one, thinks no evil. Verse 6, rejoices not in iniquity. Now, this one is the enabling. You do not enable your child. It has been now for some time. This is not a new phenomenon. Within the last 10 to 20 years, uh, it has been pushed on parents very hard to accept their children for who they are, accept their choices, accept their identity, accept their lifestyles, accept their morality or version of that, to not only accept them, but to help them on the way. Now, how dare you parent not help your child with a, with a physical uh, surgery that would alter 
their appearance because of what they feel about themselves at that age in their life. How dare you parent not pay for that? How dare you parent not take them to the hospital and allow the surgeon to, to mutilate your child in, in, in horrible ways that cannot be ever fixed back to its normal state? How dare you not do that? And so parents are belittled. Parents are chastised. Parents are bullied into doing the opposite of this. No, you need to rejoice in whatever your child wants to be, whoever your child wants to be, wherever your child wants to be, with whoever your child wants to do it with. Rejoice in those things. And yet God states clearly here, that's not love. You don't rejoice in your child. You rejoice in your child's success. And when your child is not successful, that's not something you rejoice in. You do not rejoice in your child's destruction. Because when you applaud, when you praise, when you rejoice in the choices your child is making, what will your child keep doing? Making the same ones. And if you, if you applaud and praise your child's bad choices, your child will continue making bad choices. Especially when they're young. You've trained them to think that way. So, rejoice in the good choices, correct the bad choices, and don't let the world tell you how to parent. Don't let the world tell you what's best for your child. Your world, the world is clueless. The world is a fool. The world has been lied to and has embraced that deception, and the world will try to beat you down and steal your child from you. Be strong for your child, and do not let the world boss you around on how to parent your child. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. And therefore, you're going to do whatever you can to assist your child in knowing truth, following truth, believing truth. If you rejoice in truth, truth is a big deal, right? This is something we applaud. This is something we praise. This is something that we we think very highly of. If you think that highly of it, what are you doing to keep it in the life of your child? What do you do to keep truth before the eyes of your child constantly? And what do you do to ensure that your child is not giving in to deception? That does not mean you put your child in a bubble and never let your child see lies, because if they never see lies, when they become older, they'll just be naive, and and at that point, you'll lose them, right? There has to be a level of, as they get older, you start allowing them to be exposed in safe ways to the other side. You have to. You cannot just throw them into the ocean and they never learned to swim before. you got to teach them how to swim in the shallow end. You're with them. Then you kind of let them go. And they have floaties and they don't have floaties, right? And, and eventually, now they can swim in the ocean and not drown. But the kids who drown are the kids who are never let out of the kiddie pool that went higher than their knees and they turn 18 and they jump in the ocean. What do you expect is going to happen to those children? But nor should you, in my opinion, treat children like they're 18 when they're only 7. Treat children like they're 22 when they're only 14. There has to be a slow fade of, all right, I'm going to show you a little bit of the lies. I'm going to let you see this, and now let's talk about what is the truth. All right, we're going to watch this movie. There's, there's no swearing. There's no morality. But this movie has an agenda. It's a very strong agenda. Let's watch this movie, but then let's talk about it. Did you notice the agenda in that movie, right? Because the truth is your, your kid's going to watch movies, right, when they're 18, 19. Teach them to think critically so they don't just take it all in and accept everything because it's been put before them. Now, would you do that with a four-year-old, five-year-old? No. But a 14, 15, yeah. Yeah, I could see you doing that. I could see you watching a movie that, that you don't necess- isn't evil, isn't going to make, you know, make your child go crazy, isn't going to have to keep, cause you to mute or turn off the screen, but just has a strong agenda, and then talk about that agenda afterwards. 
Prepare your child for the future. Rejoice in truth. Keep truth ever before them. Verse 7, love bears all things. Now, I had mentioned this weeks ago, and I had stated that love does not take the burden and place it on the shoulders of the other, especially the younger. Love takes the burden off of the shoulders of the other and places it on themselves, and then if you're wise, you would then take that burden and cast it on God. But why doesn't my child just cast it directly on God? Well, they haven't learned to do that yet. Assist them with that. And then as they get older, show them how you cast your burdens on God. And book, by the time they're 17, 18, 19, if they're still casting their burdens on you, you are setting them up for failure, right? Because what happens when they're 22 and they're heavy with burden? They're going to call you and say, Mom, I'm, I miss home. Dad, I need to come home. My, my spouse is driving me crazy. Uh, my kids are driving me crazy. I need to come home. And they're going to abandon their life to come back to you and, and cast their burdens on you because you train them to do that. You are essentially the Catholic priest to their life that they need to come and do penance before you. They need to come and, 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 and confess before you because you did not train them to do that with God. Now, at a young age, you do need to take their burden. Definitely don't put yours on theirs, on their shoulders. Take it from them. But as they get older, recognize the maturity of your child and start training them to take their burden and give it directly to God, not through you to God, but to God himself. And then when your child is an adult, they are set up for success but you are hurting your child, you are destroying your child. When you take your burdens, put it on them, now they must carry theirs and yours, and they probably don't even know what to do with theirs. What do you think is going to be the end result of that? And consider this. The burdens of a nine-year-old are, I'm tired, my friends don't like me, I hate a particular subject in school, and... I don't like my clothes. The burdens of an adult, I hope, are significantly more than that, or you've been living a very sheltered life. And so, what seems heavy to you will crush a child. Don't you dare put the burden of finances on your child. Don't you dare let them see your worry and anxiety and you act, Mommy, what's wrong? Well, I think we're going to go bankrupt. What does bankrupt mean, Mommy? I think it means we're going to lose all of our stuff and have to move. And now your child's like freaking out because you're telling them your worries, which may or may not come true. Daddy, what's wrong? Well, your mother and I are having problems. What do you mean by problems? Well, I don't know that she loves me anymore. Has there been a man coming around when I haven't been around? I mean, what are you doing to your child? You are placing on your child the burdens of an adult. They cannot carry these. Love doesn't place burdens. Love takes burdens. And by the way, when it comes to other adults, you don't necessarily take them so much as you do share them. It's not that you just take the burdens of all your friends. Let me take that. Let me take that. Let me take that. And, you know, eliminate the burdens of your friends. You can't really do that. What you do is you join your friends and your spouse in their burdens, and you say, let me help you with that. Can't take it from you. I can't eliminate all your problems. Your choices are your own. Your finances, I didn't spend you into this position. You did. But let me, let me be there with you through this so you're not alone. Love you through it so you're not alone. Verse 7, believes all things. What does that mean? Well, very similarly attached to hopes all things. Love believes in your child, yes, I think that's a good way to say it. Basically meaning, love believes that my child can do better. Believes in them. Believes that my child can attain success. You can't do that when you're thinking evil of your child all the time. 
You can't do that when you're thinking evil of your spouse. You cannot both believe in them and think evil of them at the same time. They fight against each other. But once you've eliminated the, the dwelling on evil, you are setting yourself up to believing in better for them. My child can do better. I know they can. I know my child can be successful. Yes, they're making destructive choices. They are running from God. But that doesn't mean they can't come back. I believe that they can. And then hope all things would be the natural next step. If you believe that they can, you hope that they will. And when your child sees that in your eyes, God can use it. I'm not going to tell you it will guarantee their success, but it's a peace. It's a peace that God can use. When your child sees in you that my parents believe I can do better, my parents hope that I will do better, now you're giving your child something to fight for and with, fighting with that hope that you have given them, the belief in them. Because there will always be someone in the world that will convince them, I believe in you. But that, that statement may or may not be true, and the world's belief will be conditional. I believe in you, now follow me. I believe in you, now do this. I believe in you, now stop believing that. Your belief in your child should be unconditional, purely for their success, not to manipulate them. Your hope for your child should not be, I hope you never leave home. I hope you get married and stay close to home and bring your grandkids home. That's hope that reflects back on what you want for yourself. No, you hope for your child's personal success. Whether that includes you in the close picture or not, that's not the point. Because when your hope for your child includes you and what you want, your child will see that, will recognize that, and will will run from that. It's not pure. It's not love. It's self-love. You love yourself, and you're using me to get it. Endureth all things, and in verse 8, never fails. And this will we'll wrap it up with this. I know that there are times in a romantic relationship where the, where the marriage is done. I get it. Choices have been made you can't come back from. Not that they can't come back to God, but there's just no way that a human relationship will continue after what they have done to you in one way or another. I understand that. And so this would be a different conversation related to marriage. But since we're not talking about marriage, since we're talking about children, a non-romantic relationship where it's I love them not as a partner romantically for life, but I love them as part of my own flesh, right? It's a diff- it looks differently. So when we say for a romantic relationship, I get that divorce happens, and I get that sometimes it is necessary. It is not healthy for someone to stay in a divorce where they are being abused and manipulated, all these things. I understand that. My suggestion in marriage would be, even if divorce is inevitable and you go down that road, you can still show love to that person, if not so much by being with them, but by the things you don't say about them, by the things you don't do to them. That can still be love from a distance, right? We can still show 1 Corinthians 13 love, even to people we've divorced and, and have been hateful and hurtful to us, by how we don't treat them from a distance. All right, so that, let's, let's end the conversation there. Let's talk about children. When it comes to children, this is no longer an option. When it comes to children, since it's not a romantic relationship and no way attaches you to them like that, then it truly should be love endures and never ends. Love fights for and never stops. Love keeps going at all times. Unconditionally. 
You don't keep going because your love is given hope by what your child does. You keep going because your hope comes from your love. Essentially, your love feeds itself. You see, conditional love only moves forward when it's fueled by the love of someone else. Unconditional love essentially fuels itself. And I love you regardless of what you do, and my love for you fuels my love for you. When you can attain that for your child, you are setting yourself up to never give up. But when your love is conditional and only fueled by the response of your child, children will mess up. Children will hurt you. Children will run from you. And when your love doesn't receive the fuel it needs from your child, you'll stop loving. And then your child will really start hurting you. It's one thing to be hurt by someone you love. It does hurt. It's something altogether different to be hurt by someone you once loved and want to love but don't really love anymore, and they still hurt you. That's a really deep pain. You've opened yourself up. You trust them. Your heart is completely bare to them, but now there's no protective layer of love over your heart. Now it's just completely bare. And now they are close to you. They can hurt you deeply, and love isn't there to soften the blow. When you love someone, they will still hurt you, but love absorb some of that shock and you can still keep going forward and overcome the hurt because you love them and so don't just consider how this looks for you but understand this your child and this is the last thing that i'm going to talk about your child is going to get hurt you cannot stop that from happening your child will be hurt as a child your child will be hurt as a teenager your child will be hurt as an adult. I understand. I have five children. I, I understand the pain of a parent seeing their child hurt by their friends, seeing their child hurt by classmates who aren't their friends. I get it. It, it is very, very cruel and unique pain for a parent who wants to fix everything for their child. But if you fix everything for your child, you are not training your child for the real world, which will continue hurting your child. They're going to get hurt. What is the best thing you can do to prepare your child for the pain of the real world. It is not to eliminate their cruel friends. It is not to eliminate the, the, even the classmates or the strangers around them that, that cause them pain. That is not how you protect your child. Ephesians 6 tells us the armor of God. That would be very valuable. But also, protecting your child would be helping them to love. One of the greatest protections your child can have against pain is to love others. Because when your child learns to love others, others will hurt them, but the hurt won't hurt as much when they love them. Love covers sins. Love moves on from sins. Love forgives sins. Love is hurt by the sins of others, but love also is able to overcome the hurt of the sins of others. Teaching your child to love is one of the best things you can do to protect them from the pain of this world. Let's pray.